morning. I'm here to read the, the scripture for today, John 16, 7 to 15. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to the Spirit, said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. God, we come before you as your servants, saints, sinners. Lord, be in this room. Holy Spirit, come, fill us. Open our hearts and our minds that we might understand more about who you are and who we are inside of you. So we praise your name in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, let me ask a, a question that a lot of people ask after reading passages like that. They will say something like, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose of of the Holy Spirit. Things have purposes. This is a chair. chair. It has a purpose of sitting in it. Uh, this thing up here, what's that? Light has a purpose of giving us light. Uh, you could even ask things like symbols, like we have a cross in the center of our room. And you could say, what's the purpose of that? Like if a kid asks, like, why do we have a cross in here? Well, the purpose of it is to show, remind us, let us think and gaze upon the cross that, that we are reminded that Jesus came. God himself came as one of us, flesh, and died on the cross. So that's that purpose. Things have purposes. Tools especially have purposes. I brought a few tools to show you. If you know what these tools are, don't yell it out. Let's, let's see if uh, you can guess. Um, so I have a few tools in, in my tool bag, and they have purposes. Usually the name of a tool and the purpose of the tool is like one and the same. So let's start with this guy. Um, now, don't yell it out, but if, raise your hand if you have any idea what this could be. One, two, three, four, four, five. Oh, a lady. Nice. All right. So this is, uh, if you have an oil filter that's stuck on your car, you could put this on there and wrench the oil filter off. It's an oil filter wrench. That's the name of it. That's what it does. It wrenches things off. Here's maybe a little harder one. This one weighs a lot more. This one is pretty cool. So raise your hand. Don't yell it out. Raise your hand. Anybody? Just, just a couple. Where's Justin? Justin, you don't know what this is? He's downstairs. It's like, he's a mechanic. He should know. So what is this? Yell it out. It's a puller. Yeah. So it pulls stuff. It could pull bearings. It could pull like a, like a rotor off the, the car. Uh, you hook the hooky things on, and then you turn the turny thing, and it's called a puller. That's its purpose. That's its name. This thing, it's an electronic device. Anybody know what this, this guy is? Nobody? Maybe? So this, is, it, it, you turn it on, it makes beeps, and it's called a sniffer. 
and it, this end right here, this little ET finger, will sniff uh, R134A or R, R12 or R22. So it, it sniffs, anybody? Air conditioner, yeah, air conditioner. So if you have if a leak in your air conditioner, you could use this tool, a sniffer, to sniff where it's leaking. So things have purposes. So let's get back to uh, the question at hand was, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Can we ask that question? I'm going to argue that that's not a good question to ask. That's not a good way to word the question. But we can ask what is our purpose. So I have two rabbit trails. We're going to ask what is our purpose as humans. We're going to ask what's the purpose of the church. So there's somewhat rabbit trails before we get back to who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit's purpose is. And I'm going to argue that that's not a good question. We should ask a different question and then we'll have different answers to that different question. Good? So what is our purpose as humans? We can ask that. We, we are creations of God, and we can look towards God and say, what is our purpose as humanity, as humans, as men and women? What is our purpose? And in the 1600s, this is a pretty cool story, the Westminster Catechism, uh, people in the Church of England, people in the Church of Scotland, they wanted to get together and have unity, and so they got together and, and, and had all these, I think it's like 170-something statements and questions about who God is, and they had all these answers. This is who God is. This is who we are as people. And the very first one, if any of you are good Presbyterians, you would know that the very first one in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief purpose of humans? Answer, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Is that, is that familiar to anybody? couple people. So to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And under that heading of glorifying God, we could put lots of things, living for him, following in his ways, um, and, and then enjoying him, enjoying him, enjoying his creation, the things that he has made. So we could ask that of ourselves as humans. We could say, what's our purpose? And we can have an answer to that. We could ask, what's the purpose of a church? And all churches everywhere, usually if you get into ecclesiology, the, the study of the church, you'll get into four purposes that every church should have. If it doesn't have one of these, then it's, it's dysfunctional in some way. These are very uh, like foundational purposes of a church. The first is to worship God, that we as the community of believers, we come together and we worship who God is. We worship him and his nature. Uh, we do things, number two, not in any particular order now. Uh, we do things to better society. We help, we help one another, people that aren't a part of our church. We go out, we help them. Uh, number three is sharing the good news. And number four is edification. We, we build one another up. We help each other and we help those outside of our church. Those are two different things. So we could say that about New Life Manitou, that we're a group of people who do those four things. But what makes us unique? What is our purpose as New Life Manitou? Well, early on as a staff, uh, we read um, a book called Church Unique, and we thought about, okay, Manitou is a unique city, <laughs> yeah. and uh, what, what is our unique role in Manitou? Well, as a church, in uh, a leadership team, as a staff, we, we quickly picked Micah 6.8 that we would walk humbly, that we would love mercy, and that we, we would act justly in this city. Those, that picture of uh, that verse of, of who we are is filtered through the things that we do. And so we, we help with, with a food pantry. We, we serve the city in different ways. We love the city. We love the things of mercy. And more particularly, within that context, uh, New Life Church's main focus, our, our role, our vision going forward is three words, worship, connect, serve. 
Worship connects, serve. And so we, as a church, we think it's really, really, really important to worship God, first and foremost. That is what we do. We worship. What's our purpose as New Life Manor 2? Well, we worship God. We worship God. We worship God. And then we connect. We connect with each other. We connect with the city. We think that's really important. And then we serve. We serve the city. We serve one another. And that is our vision going forward. Worship, connect, serve. So that's a little bit about who we are. It was a little rabbit trail, but I thought a good one, seeing as though here we are as a congregation meeting weekly. I thought, what a great little rabbit trail to go on. So circling back to the rabbit trails, uh, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to argue that that's not a good way to ask that question. We should cross it off and, and kind of start over as a way of wording it. Because in, in the book of Isaiah, for instance, there's this passage in Isaiah chapter 5, where there's this analogy of a potter and of clay. So imagine a potter making something out of clay. And in the book of Isaiah is this analogy saying, how can it be that, that it shouldn't be that the clay would say to the potter, what is your purpose? That the clay should say to the potter, what are you doing? That the clay should say to the potter, you know, why do you exist? That, that's just a bad way. It's like, it's a piece of clay. Like, you exist because I'm forming you, not the other way around. You know how, like, that's just not a good question for us to look at God and say, God, what is your purpose? And that God would be like a tool that we would use for our own manipulation. We don't look at God that way. We don't look at God and say, God, let me uh, get this from you to do my own thing. No, we are the creation of God. We look to God to worship him. So a better way to word this question, um, I'll, I'll tell you in a second, but that we are not the center of our world. We may think we're the center of our world. It's a very kind of narcissistic way to think about ourselves and that we are the, the best thing around. It's, it's pride, it's arrogance. And sometimes that works its way into a church or the church, and I'm certainly guilty of it as well, of, of thinking like this church service is all about us. It's not all about us. It's all about it's all about God. It's all about Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So to ask what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit as if we would use him like a tool, that's, that's not the way to think about it. A better way to think about it is to say, what are the roles of the Holy Spirit? What are the roles of the Holy Spirit? And that's just a, a lot better way to word the question. So two things I'm saying. First is that we are not uh, we, we are not, uh, the Holy Spirit is not for us and that he hasn't been created to help us. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. He wasn't created. He created us. So I'm saying that. And on the same way that I'm saying that, I'm also juxtaposing another sentence and saying that he is for us in the sense that he loves us. He guides us. He teaches us. And he is for us in the sense that he loves us and he serves us. So I'm saying two things here, and they are juxtaposed, that we, that the Holy Spirit is God himself. He didn't create, uh, he did create us. We did not create him. He is not a tool to be used. In fact, we are his creation. We are his servants. So a bet, just a better way to ask the question is to not say what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, but to say what are the roles of the Holy Spirit. And I have seven here. I'm going to quickly go through these seven. And... These seven are by no, by no means an exhaustive list of all the roles of the Holy Spirit, but I think they're some of the most important ones and the ones that stood out to me as I was preparing this message. So the first one is the one that uh, Tim read. He, re he read the scripture where Jesus in John 16 says that it's better that I go away. 
which is interesting to think about that for a minute, that Jesus himself, God on earth, uh, in the flesh, 100% God, 100% human, said, uh, it's better that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you the advocate is what he says. The Greek word there is paraclete. Maybe you've heard that word before. So Jesus says, I'm going to send the paraclete, an advocate, someone who is on our side. It feels great that someone is on our side, don't you think? That uh, this world that we live in is often dark. It's often uh, Jesus in the same passage says that there is a, a prince of this world. And that's the bad guy, by the way. The prince of this world, is, is that's not a good thing. He says there's a prince of this world and it's, it, it is against us. And there's things in this world, spiritual things against us. There's physical things. There's things in the natural, things in the flesh, and things in the spiritual that are against us. But Jesus says, if I go away, I'm going to send someone to you, an advocate, a paraclete, someone to be on your side. Even when the world is against us, we have someone on our side, the Holy Spirit. Second is the comforter, that we have a comforter. Again and again, the, this, the one who is to come, the Holy Spirit, he is to comfort us. We see some pretty amazing things in the Bible when, the, when, the whole, when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and they have such comfort around them. I think of uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, the very first martyr in the Bible after Jesus is Stephen. So Stephen in the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, proclaims who Jesus is, that he's God. And people pick up rocks to kill him. And it says that Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit, has all this comfort about him. He looks into heaven, he sees the image of, of angels uh, and, and the image of the kingdom of God opening up. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he's filled with comfort even at the moment of his death. And we can look at that and think, Jesus, would you come to us? Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The, the, the role of the Holy Spirit here is comforter. And when things are going really bad, and even in our, uh, in our grief, even in our suffering, we can be comforted by the one whose role it is to comfort us. I think about um, this image. I've spoken about it before. I remember we were outside in uh, one of the parks, uh, and I spoke a message about how God is hunting us down with his love. And I talked about the hound of heaven, that God is chasing after us, like, like someone uh, trying to run away from, from God, someone like turning their back on God and running, whatever, through the days, through the nights, in the woods, away from God. God is like this hound in love, hunting us down, like sniffing after our trail in his love, not to get us, to punish us, but God is hunting us down in his love, the hound of heaven hunting us down to find us and to love us and to, to stick out his hand as we fall down and say, Come up here, I love you. You who drove love away, you drove me away, but I've been chasing you down and I love you so much. And so the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Holy Spirit, number three, is the teacher. Jesus says that uh, he's going to go away, but I'm going to send the advocate and he's going to teach you all things. And he's going to remind you the things that I've said. So Jesus says, I've said many things. God on earth as one of us says many things. And how are the disciples, how are we to know what is true? Well, we have a teacher, one who teaches us in the ways, reminds us what is true. Number four is a guide. The Holy Spirit is a guide and he guides us, as John 16 says that, that Tim read, he guides us into all truth. 
and he guides us in the walk of life when we're not sure which way to go. We hear a voice, as the passage says, saying, walk in this way and follow this way. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us. A couple days ago on Friday, uh, me, my, my dad, and uh, Jay and Rowan, we went to Breckenridge uh, just to watch the skiers and to ride the gondola. That was enough for one day with the little rascals. And uh, Rowan, I could tell, was really afraid to get on the gondola. If you haven't been to Breckenridge and, and seen, the, they have a gondola that you could ride for free. And so it's moving. This box is moving as you're trying to get on it. And Rowan's three years old, and he was trying to get on it. And you could tell he was just a little bit nervous about getting on it, as, as well as you should be. Um, and so Jay had already done that before. He, uh, Grandpa, Papa had taken him another time, and he had run, uh, rode the gondola, and so Jay was Rowan's guide, saying, here's how you do it, Rowan. Hop on, you just jump on. He got it back off and hopped back on just to show Rowan how easy it was. He was the guide, and you could just see it in Rowan's face, this big smile that someone is here guiding him and leading him. And just like that, like a guide, that's what a guide does, the Holy Spirit is our guide. He guides us into truth. He guides us into the ways that we should go. The next one is the Holy Spirit is a gift giver. He's the one who gives gifts. There's so many passages in the Bible talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering, since, since we're going weekly now, next week we are on this series still, the Holy Spirit series. I will talk more about the gift giver, the Holy Spirit giving us gifts and, and what those gifts are, these gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant about the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to know about them. So we need to be taught about the gifts the Holy Spirit gives. And there's lots of different gifts. And there's lots of lists in the Bible, at least three that I know of, that list all these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And they're for the betterment of the church. They are for, for us to be built up. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. One of his roles is that he gives gifts. The, the next one is he convicts us. The Holy Spirit in this passage, John 16, says... Uh, the Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is our convictor. He's the one that shows us um, when, when we mess up and we know it. And, and maybe it's, this, it's not a shaming kind of conviction, but it's this, this conviction that what we have done, that who we are, uh, is not right before God and we need to get right. He convicts us to show us the way of truth and he convicts us to show us the way of forgiveness. I know this is a big part of my story. Uh, when I was in high school, I'd kind of been raised in the church, uh, went quite a few Sundays. But in high school, for me, that my faith needed to become real. I needed to convert to Christianity. I had kind of wandered in high school my freshman, my sophomore year. I was kind of uh, somewhat con convinced that God did not exist, was beginning to tell people that I was an atheist, and just really thinking through, like, does God exist? And I, I was in a class... Um, about uh, uh, this, this teacher was just really anti-God, and I just had lots of thoughts. Is, is God real or is God not real? And in the same class, I had a friend who was a strong Christian believer, and I would just drill this poor kid, like all these questions. Every lunch, I remember writing down questions on my hand so I wouldn't forget these questions. And we'd sit down for lunch, and I'd just start drilling this poor kid, and he actually had answers. He said, well, here's what the Bible says this. This is what the Bible says here. And so it was through that that I was like, yes, I do believe. And I, I raised my hand at some meeting that the youth pastor said, if you believe, raise your hand. And so I rose my hand, and I said, I really believe this. I really uh, believe who Jesus is, that he came and died for me. And there was something that changed 
like in that moment, in that weekend, and, and left me different after that. And one of the things that I uh, would say again and again that, that changed for me was this conviction of the Holy Spirit. I remember getting into argue, arguments with friends, my mom, my dad, family members, and just, you know, get into an argument, just kind of, nah, 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 and have this little argument, kind of go our separate ways, and I'd just be like, them, like, I'm idiots. And I just had no, like, conviction about what I said, no conviction about the, the mean thing. I was like, idiots, like, why would I, idiots? And then after, after this salvation experience, after coming to the Lord and, and really uh, converting and depending upon Him for salvation, I would get into a little fight, me, 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 and, and then walk away, and then the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit would just come all over me, and I, I would just stop, and I, I'd go to them and say, I'm so sorry for saying those mean things, and they would look at me like, seriously? Like, really? Like, you've never apologized before, and it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like something changed, my parents noticed it, my friends noticed it, it's like, why are you now so easy to, you know, to, to come and ask for forgiveness, and I thought the only thing that that could be is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the reasons why, as a church, uh, we're not the kind of church that, that goes out onto the streets and, and tells people they're going to hell. Why wouldn't we do that? Well, uh, fundamentally, we think that that's the role of the Holy Spirit. If we really trust the Holy Spirit, then why would we go out and tell someone else they're a sinner? That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts people. And we as a church, we're ready. Like if, if someone comes to us, someone comes to me as a pastor and says, I've really messed up in my life, I need forgiveness from God, then I would lead them to the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and I would thank the Holy Spirit for convicting them. But, but we as believers, you know, Jesus warns against you know, pointing out the speck in someone else's eye when you have like a plank or a board coming out of your own eye. It's a metaphor, it's an analogy. Why, why point out the sins in other people when we have our own issues and sin in ourselves? Let's let the Holy Spirit do that. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts from the inside out, not in a shaming way, but in a way that leads to forgiveness and repentance and to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the, he is the one who convicts. Uh, this last point here, number seven, is he is the one who fills us. He is the filler. That's the only way I could word that, I guess. He's the filler. He's the one who fills us with himself. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And there's really not an equation for how this works. There's, I guess there's lots of equations, and sometimes uh, you can talk about it in some way, and a friend can talk about it a different way, and you can talk about how the Holy Spirit fills us. Uh, for instance, Jesus, when, when he's talking to his disciples before he dies and is resurrected and before he ascends into heaven, he's having a conversation with, the, uh, with his disciples, talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says that you already know the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit already lives within you. And so you're like, oh, cool. The Holy Spirit already lives in the disciples. So then you're, but then you're like, if you, if you know the Bible well, some of you know it really well, you know that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. So you're like, wait, what's that? And then in between those two things, Jesus dies. He's resurrected. He's in a room with his disciples. And there's this short passage where he, it says he blows on his disciples, breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So it's like, wait, that's before Pentecost. And then you have this moment of Pentecost. If you don't know what that is, uh, read the, the first couple chapters of the book of Acts because it's 50 days, Penta, 50 days from, from uh, Passover, this, this holy day that all these people are gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit descends on these disciples 
like, like tongues of fire. Like, what is that? Well, they begin to speak in, in unknown languages, and the people around them that only speak different languages start to hear them in their own language. It's this miracle that happens. And so that's when the Holy Spirit comes. But you're like, wait, didn't he breathe on his disciples and they were filled? And then you're like, well, doesn't he say that the Holy Spirit already dwells with the disciples? So yes, yes, and yes. There's really no equation. The equation usually just has to do with how willing are you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How open are you to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that something you're desiring? Is that something you're wanting? We're going to have, uh, we're going to do communion in just a couple minutes. We're going to have, after that, we always close our services with an altar ministry. And so there'll be people up here um, to pray for you, to lay hands on you. What is laying hands? What does that mean? Well, 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul is talking to Timothy. And Paul basically says that you received a gift when, uh, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders uh, laid their hands on you. So what is that about? Well, Timothy received a filling, received gifts when people gathered around him. It's not just you and God. It's, it's the community of the, of the body coming together. And one of the symbols of that is when people just lay their hands on you and pray over you. It's, um, it's this wonderful thing when people gather together and you're all in agreement that, that God is wanted here, that God is needed, that we need God to fill us up. We need God to give us gifts. We need God to fill us from the inside out. And so there'll be a time for that. We'll have an altar ministry here and you can get prayer for anything. You can come up and say what it is you would like to get prayer for. You can just come up and say, just pray for me. I would rather not talk about it. Or you can come and say, I would like the Holy Spirit to fill me. And maybe for some of you, it's like for the, you've never asked for that before. And today would be a great day to do that, to be willing to receive from God what he might want you to have, a filling of him himself. I'll end with this quote from um, Augustine. So this, this uh, guy, St. Augustine or Augustine, same guy, different pronunciation. Uh, he lived in the 400s. He's a pretty famous Christian as far as his writings going from uh, fr- from where he wrote, he was written, wrote in uh, what is today like North Africa, and he, he wrote these uh, confessions, which is probably his most famous writing. It's basically journal entries of how he became a Christian. And he talks about how he was a sinner of sinners. He, he was, lived a life of debauchery, that means drinking a lot. He lived a life of womanizing. He actually calls women uh, toys in, in his writing. He's, he's going on and on about how bad of a sinner he was. He, he defiled people. He took advantage of people. And he goes on and on about this. And then his testimony is that one day he's just sitting out in the garden and he hears a voice like a kid saying, take and read, take and read, like some, like some little kid like saying, take and read, take and read. So he, he thinks, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And he, he sees a Bible. He picks up a Bible and opens it up to a passage that says, do not live in debauchery and sin, but instead put on righteousness. And all at once he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He receives that from God. He says, I don't want to live in sin. I want to live for the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to live inside me. And he writes these famous lines about how he becomes a Christian and he becomes this wonderful Christian mind, this philosopher, and he writes all these great things that we now have. But he has this quote, and maybe you've heard it before, the, the gist of it before is that, that we have a God-shaped hole inside of our hearts. Maybe you've heard that lingo before. That's Augustine. 
He doesn't say it quite like that, but he says, um, he says it like this. He says, you, so he's talking about God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. So God has made us. The Holy Spirit has made us for himself. And Augustine says it like this. He says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we pray to you, we thank you that, that you have filled us, Lord, with, with who you are, that you have filled us with yourself so that we might know you, we might be guided into truth, into the ways of righteousness. God, and I pray specifically for, for anyone just facing conviction that, that in, your, um, in your goodness, Lord, you convict us of sin, things, of mistakes that we've done, and not to shame us, Lord, but to, to bring us into forgiveness, to bring us into repentance, that we can turn to you and say, Lord, we are so sorry for, for not following in your ways, and you are faithful, and you are just, and you come to us and cover us. Psalm 51 says, you will make us whiter than snow. You will wash us, and we will be clean. You will purge us with hyssop, and, and all of our sins will leave us, and, and we will be filled with your glory and your goodness. We're going to say a prayer. Uh, we're going to put this on the screen. And if you would stand with me, we're going to read this prayer together. It's a prayer of confession. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.